finally we're live <laughs> how are you doing man doing well doing well how you doing i'm uh, yeah i'm good i'm a little bit stressed out after so if anybody's looking at this live brendan can't see me right now and i, I can see him but he can't see me and i'm having to use a second actually third webcam because everything <laughs> has just blown up over here and, and brendan spent such such a good amount of time making his room look nice as well. <laughs> not, not enough time. I, I, I should have done better. <laughs> oh, man, I've got so many things to ask. Um, the first thing is, are you related to Dave, Gan? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I feel like it's probably pretty likely, though, because it's not a very common last name. But, yeah, not, not, not that I'm aware of. I, I, I wish I knew um if we were that'd be dope yeah I, that's the literally the only other time i've ever heard the name in, in yeah. depeche mode that's the only other time i've ever heard it so yeah. i thought oh it can, maybe he kind of looks a little bit like him too maybe he's related and he would have some <laughs> really cool depeche mode story to tell <laughs> i wish sorry to let you down <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i've i've called this episode how to build audiences and influence people because you are in influencer marketing. That's that's the way you describe it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's a great place to start. What what is influencer marketing? How would you describe it? Um. So you know, I approach it from sort of the uh, the advertising standpoint, and, and basically, influencer marketing for us is. Um, pairing brands with creators with that have audiences to get the brand message out there. That's, that's sort of the, the, you know, very, very distilled version of it. But I think that's a probably for, for most use cases an apt definition. Yeah. Is this idea of an influencer, right? This, this is somebody, and, and I'm going really low level here just to try and build up to another question. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's this idea of anybody with an audience, really. That's an influencer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, anybody with a digital audience. I mean, you could say, certainly you could say day-to-day, you know, even somebody without an online presence, you know, they've got influence offline. Um, but in terms of the advertising world, it's, you know, we're, we're a little bit more focused on, like, what's your sort of footprint and engagement um, and audience online and you're the influencer behind the influencer (laughs) yeah in in the sense that yeah yeah i guess i guess that's a that's a good way of putting it (laughs) and what what quite surprised me when i was looking before we started chatting and i was doing a little bit of research into you you've been doing this for a really long time right yeah yeah i got into it in 2006, kind of just in the early days of YouTube and stuff, um, I was working at a small ad agency and, um, yeah, I just pitched this idea of like, I had, and I had no business pitching anything, but like, I was like, um, you know, we were about to turn down this small client and I was like, well, why don't, why don't we pay these kids on YouTube to, to make something? And, um, and that was sort of my first foray into influencer marketing. Yeah, 2006. And sort of, it, it, it just killed. I mean, it got millions of views. It crashed the client's website. And I sort of, um, I had a, a good hunch that it was going to work. But it definitely, 
um, exceeded my expectations and I sort of never looked back. Where, where did the idea come from? Why did you think, right, I'm going to go to YouTube and, and pay these guys who are making YouTube videos to make something for us? Where, where did that come from? Um, it was a combination of things. I mean, I think one of them was just sort of that go with what you know um, mentality. Like I was, you know, when I graduated from school and I got an internship in advertising, I remember finding out how much stuff costs, like a billboard or like a TV commercial and being like, what the hell? That made, that's like insane. And so like it, advertising like like traditional advertising just like into this day does not compute for me like i don't i don't i don't relate to it there's very few ads that resonate with me personally um and so i saw this and at the same time i i knew what i was consuming and 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 i could see the numbers on youtube you know what other people were consuming and so for me, it just sort of made sense. And I would say I was a, a bit inspired by um, my very first boss in my internship who was very forward thinking, you know, he's about 10 years older than me and he was selling through, you know, branded content campaigns and just sort of had like an out of the box um, mentality and approach. And so I think that kind of gave me the liberty to sort of, be like, oh, I don't need to think about things the same way as everyone else. And was there anybody else doing this? Did you know of anybody who'd gone to some people on YouTube and gone, right, let's pay these kids to do something? Um, no, and I, to, I'm, to, to date, I have yet to hear someone having done one before me. I, I'm sure, I would imagine somebody must have, but um, I haven't come across it yet. So I was, I was definitely pretty early. So as far as you're aware, for this purpose of this conversation, you might have invented it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would love to pat myself on the back and say, say that's the case. I, I, I don't know for, for certain, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's in the realm of possibilities. <laughs> so you saw that, so you, you had massive success with it. What happened after that? Nothing. Well, no, I mean, like, like it was like swept under the rug, you know, not, not swept under the rug. It just wasn't like, you know, influencer marketing was not a thing. And it was a thing that like you constantly had to sort of explain and coerce people into doing not, not in a weird way, but like, you know, a lot of like, here's why, where it, why it's going to make sense. And so, um, after I did that first activation, I, I used that as sort of a proof point to get my foot in the door at another agency and um, that was doing more like viral video stuff and like was more dialed into kind of like the social media landscape. And so I got in there and they were creating awesome content and, and, and very much relying on social and word of mouth. And so I kind of came in and um, we, we, you know, nobody knew what they were doing. We, so we sort of built up a social media team over time. And, you know, I started doing more influencer deals and, you know, we did probably, you know, thousands of influencer activations and, um, you know, oftentimes to help kickstart the content we were producing and in general, just to sort of get the messages out there. But, you know, it was like, I did that one 
And then it was maybe like probably like six months to a year before I did another. And then it was like, we were just doing a ton of them, but they were always a little bit under the radar. Cause it wasn't until I think like 2013, um, that, uh, influencer marketing really seemed to sort of hit its stride. You know, that was like right when, um, YouTube launched their like Google preferred, um, uh, initiative where you could basically buy YouTube in a way that's similar to buying TV and they put YouTube influencers on billboards and it sort of got this mainstream acceptance that it previously did not have. So how did you, there's, there's convincing companies, but how did you convince the people, you know, the actual influencers to do it? How did you go to them in the first place and say, I think it'd be really cool to work together or, or were they quite open to the idea? Yeah, I mean... You know, getting was, money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, getting money certainly helps. Um, you know, it was... It, it, back then, the community was very small. And, like, I was, like, the same age, you know, as, as most of these guys, maybe, like, a little bit older. And so I kind of approached it the same way I, I thought I'd want to be reached out to. Be like, hey... You know, I mean, honestly, we would do a lot of research to sort of identify people that we felt were relevant. So there, there was some pre-vetting, but um, and we had a good sense that they'd be into it. And then, you know, we'd reach out to them and sort of have conversations and brainstorm a bit. And um, I, I personally kept it very, very casual and like, you know, be like, let's jump on the phone and you know, spitball a little bit. You know, here's. Here's what we're working on. What do you think? What are your ideas? And I think that approach really worked well. Um, also, I think we were really fortunate in that we worked with uh, and, and still work with um, really cool brands. Like, you know, I wasn't out there trying to convince people to sell, I don't know, uh, Amway products or something like that. It was like, you know, awesome brands. Like we were doing like, Slim Jim and beer companies and, and, and action films and all that stuff. So it was like, you know, it was, it, it, that, that made it probably a lot easier. Yeah. I I guess the whole situation now is just so much more blurred, isn't it? It's this in the, in that initial phase when you were, you were talking to influencers, the the kind of the term influencer wasn't even really a thing, I guess. And the, the direction of your conversations, I imagine were very one way. So you, you were going to them and, and saying, I've got this cool idea. Now the line is, is so blurred with this kind of thing. The thing I'm thinking of immediately in my head right now is, you know, the, the girl who rode down the street with the cranberry juice, Oh, oh, the 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 guy that did it is—is is it the guy? I can't remember. Yeah, it's the guy. Yeah, 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 guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog face. Yeah, four twenty. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ocean spray guy, basically. And yeah, you now you see that kind of thing, and I maybe you know. I'm still not even sure if that was an influencer marketing campaign. That one specifically was not. That was a that was a genuine thing, and then um, it becomes one after the fact, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, he, he 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 was able to buy a house because of all that. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, so now you've got this kind of weird situation where something might become viral, B, 
before somebody jumps on board and mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the conversations happen after that so the, the the thing really is that people are, are way more savvy to this now right some influencers are actually hunting for these kind of deals they want mm-hmm. them from the very beginning mm-hmm. I, I guess it mm-hmm. changes the relationship a little bit for you yeah it does i mean it's interesting like there's definitely been like a, a cultural shift in the early days audiences were almost like very much audiences and, and creators were almost like averse to, to promoting um, brands and stuff. And now it's almost seen as like a rite of passage. It's like, you got a brand deal. It's like you made it. Um, so, so like that's happening. And, it, and I think the, the fans celebrate it because they know that brands are sort of powering the creators to a certain extent. Um, so that, that's one aspect that's really changed. And I think it's gotten really exciting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's certainly evolved quite a bit. I, th- I think the, the other one that jumps to mind is Gary V with, mm-hmm. with the Kate Swiss, you, you know, with, with, with the trainers and stuff. And mm-hmm. people are now basically building an audience like Gary V and then mm-hmm. going to somebody like Kate Swiss and saying, look, I've got this audience. I, I like your thing do you want to work together on something? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that's sort of the, the, the trajectory all this is headed. I mean, I, I, I think that the best influencer marketing campaigns are sort of the ones that borrow from, you know, the best ad campaigns and, and brand partnerships of the past, like, you know, Nike and Jordan, like culturally, what Jordan had at that time, like was obviously massive um, as, as an, a bunch of influencers also have a massive impact on culture and youth. Um, and what Nike did was they didn't just approach him and say, Hey, wear our shoe in, in, in one game, you know, they, they, they partnered with them. You know, it was a, it was a, a deep endorsement. You know, he wore Nikes all the time. He did Nike commercials. I'm sure he did a million appearances on behalf of Nike. I'm sure he had input on the, the, the product and, and TV commercials. And the, the sort of first phase of influencer marketing has very much been approaching creators as sort of media outlets, like just push this message out for us. And they've grown a lot and, and are becoming more and more aware of sort of the leverage that they have. Um, and brands are getting you know, wise to that as well. And, and as a result, the relationships are really changing pretty dramatically. And as it should, I mean, um, you know, every couple of years there's a new study, but um, I, there's a, a great study from Variety um, a few years back, I think it was like eight out of the top 10 most recognizable celebrities for teens. Um, at that time, it was all YouTube stars, or, you know, eight of the top 10 were YouTube stars. And I, I imagine it would be the same today, you know, combination of YouTube and TikTok. Um, so it just makes sense to sort of apply that same framework to the new media landscape. I, I remember another thing that Gary Vee said. I don't want to fill it with Gary V quotes, but I remember watching a conversation or a talk that he did ages ago, years ago, where he held his phone up and said, this is the new TV. Mm-hmm. And he said, this, this is where people get their media now, primarily. This is their first place. And if you're not jumping on this now, you're missing it. And that was 
that must have been six or eight years ago or something. But I remember when he saw that. I think it's like that now, isn't it? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I don't, I don't have any traditional TV. Like, uh, you know, I've got some subscription services. We've got a TV here. Like, I very rarely watch TV and spend all my time, you know, watching stuff on my phone or you know my laptop or my iPad. It's it's. You know, it's like one of those things like um, I love that saying the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. And and I think that's very much the case. It's like, um, you know, everybody's got a phone or, or, you know, people will be watching more on their phone if they aren't already than than traditional TV for sure. I'd actually be surprised. I bet under 25 year olds, um, I would I would I think it's a pretty safe bet that the majority are watching and spending more time on their phones than on TV. Absolutely. I can't I can't even think of the last time I sat down and thought I'm so excited to watch this TV show right now. You, you know, yeah. but used to the ad used to come up and you say TV show on at Thursday at 8 p.m. or whatever. That's just not even a thing now. We we pull content rather than get it forced on us. Um mm-hmm. I, and and that's completely shifted the game. And I think how do you how do you see that for everybody, not just for big influencers? Is this something everybody should be doing, growing an audience? Ooh, should everyone be growing an audience? I mean, I know you're I doing mean, it. I'm 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 trying, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> um, so I mean, I think it, it's obviously a very personal decision, but an audience is leverage. Like whatever you want to do, having an audience unless you want to be anonymous and, 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 uh, you know, entirely having an audience is, is, is a very real um, form of, of power that you can funnel to, to various endeavors. Um, and it, I think it's undervalued right now. I don't think people have t- entirely wrapped their heads around the fact that like even a, a relatively small audience can, turn into a full-time business, uh, you know, um, a very good living. And um, not to mention the fact that I think there are a lot of kind of intrinsic rewards in, in terms of like, you know, you, you tweet a lot about sort of the process and the importance of like, you keep going, it, you know, it's, you, you're, you're pushing it out because, you know, it doesn't matter if it's perfect, it's about improvement. And I think there's a lot of value just in that, even, you know, tabling sort of the likes, comments, views, and, and the vanity metrics. I find it very personally fulfilling. Um, I love the feedback. I mean, I love like when I, my view counts go up and my follower counts go up and don't get me wrong. And I'm, I'm, I would say I'm pretty, um, uh, I don't know. Um, I get pretty caught up in that at times, but I, I really like doing it. And I I like the fact that it's something that pushes me to learn and grow. I think one of the things about it for me is that it's a differentiator, isn't it? I've spoke about this a few times about content being a differentiator. Now we live in such a connected world. The majority of us have got a job that somebody else does. Most of us are not completely unique in the skill set that we have, but mm-hmm. the content that we produce can be the differentiator. And the content doesn't even have to be high-level stuff. It's just, often, it's just 
sharing what you already know. And 100%. That, that can be a, such a huge differentiator. I've just discovered this in the last year. Um, I t- I've tweeted a bunch about it and I, I wrote a blog post about how I've been a designer for 15 years and I did 14 years of it wrong because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see the value of promotion. I didn't see the value of building an audience because I thought I was good enough uh, whatever that means, excuse me. <clears throat> I, I was good enough. I was good enough to just get referrals and just work in my own little community. And you know, we built a, we've built a good agency on that. All of our work is referrals, which is amazing. But you, you, it's almost arrogant to sit there and think I am good enough, rather than just putting yourself out there and just sharing the things you already know. It isn't a difficulty to me, just like it probably isn't to you, to just sit there and tweet some things or make a quick video about things you already know because you're already saying them to clients. And I didn't I didn't do that for 15 years because actually I don't know why. Maybe, maybe imposter syndrome. I, I don't know. I think maybe you've been on the same path, right? Because it, 100%. it seems fairly recent, all the stuff that you're doing too. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you and I probably, I, I think we're sort of like of the same mindset from what I've gathered from your tweets. And, it's, you know, it's just been reinforced by what you said. I, I think um, very much for, you know, up until 2020, I was um, very much behind the scenes. I had a blog and I, I occasionally did some stuff, um, but I wasn't, I didn't take it super seriously. And um, I, I think, um, yeah, it's like, I think a lot of it was almost like it was not in my, I think there's an element of imposter syndrome. And I think there's an element of sort of like not wanting to appear like maybe braggy and like, it's like, yeah. Um, and, and, but, but in terms of like going out there and doing it, you're right. It, 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 it in and of itself is a different differentiator. And it's like, what's interesting is, yeah, you're the same person who, you know, you have the same knowledge, whether or not you share it, um, yeah. to a certain extent. And so it's like, why not share it and get a little bit more credit for it? And, and, um, that's sort of like a little bit of like my mentality. It's like, I've got, I've got the information. Why not put it out there and like acts a little bit like a lighthouse, like a beacon to, you know, say, Hey, I'm over here. Here's what I think. Like, are there other people that think this way? Like, if so, let's talk. And, you know, great things come from it. Um, Some are really tangible. Some are not. Um, But it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but it's been very rewarding. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think the same. And I think what one of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest shifts I changed was talking to people. That, that's that been huge for me. Talking to people on Twitter, talking to people globally, basically going from a, a small internet mindset to a, a global mindset. And I know it's a bit cheesy, but it's it's definitely the switch I made, even to the conversation we're having right now. You know, th- this this in and of itself is amazing to me because a year ago I would have never have dreamt of doing this because I would have been like, the audio quality is not great or whatever. Um, I, I, I want to make sure my guests in person. I would have still had the small, small 
internet mentality that I wanted to be, do you know what I mean? I wanted it to be closer to me. And then in 2020, I did the same where I was like, I've just got to talk to people. And that was really mm-hmm. the, the primary thing for me. And then yeah. you all of a sudden become on this, on this world stage that it was the same for me, the bragging thing. I had to get over that. I didn't enjoy and I, to some extent, still don't always enjoy it. So I'm always very self-deprecating with that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was the global thing for me that I finally got to connect with people globally rather than just locally. That's been huge for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's really interesting like, um, how your thoughts like you almost think it's like ah it's just probably like my friends and family that see it and like it's it's not really like it's not really that traveling that much but then it's like so many interesting things have happened like so many fascinating people have like reached out and you're like i would have had no idea like this person ever would have like read my stuff or thought that i was like interesting or smart in any way shape or form so it opens up so many doors which is really exciting um and uh, also, I, you know, I think the that mentality, like you were saying, like, oh, I wish, you know, I got to get the audio perfect and all this. And it's like, you know, perfection really is the enemy of progress. I think the, the only way to sort of do it is to, to do it and give yourself permission for it to to not be perfect because it's not like nobody comes out of the great uh, the gates with this stuff like fully formed, nor should they. It's like you you shouldn't be able to um, come out of gates and have everything be perfect at your first try. That's just not the way things work. And I think kind of giving yourself a little bit of permission to, um, you know, take a number of at bats and, and to miss um, is, is really liberating. I I think I was having a conversation about this earlier with somebody and interesting to get your thoughts on it. Uh, just about that, really about building audiences quickly. So I was having, I was having a, a bit of a conversation with somebody in in Twitter DMs, and I've always been really thankful that my audience. I'm still only at nearly a four thousand followers on Twitter, still very small, and it's built really slowly for me. I get a couple of followers a day, and I've always been thankful that it's never blown up. I've, I've never had the one thing where I've gone from 4,000 to 10,000 followers. And I know people that that, that's happened to. And I was speaking to one of them in the DMs today. And he said, yeah, when I blew up like that, I got a really negative experience of it. And I just wonder what your thoughts were around it, about slowly building an audience versus building one really quick. Yeah, I mean... I, on the surface, I think building one really quick sounds enticing. Um, but then there's not like, if you build slowly, people have time to sort of understand why they're there and what you're about versus like, if you just created one, one piece of content, that's everything anyone knew about you and they didn't have context as to, as to who you are and what else you want to talk about and what kind of, content you're creating, I could picture that really creating a big disconnect because it's like, what if that was just sort of like an outlier or like you, you don't want to talk about that thing all the time anymore. Um, 
and uh, they're not as invested in sort of the same mindset or you personally. So um, it seems like it'd be very easy to sort of, um, I don't know, like to, to, to for, for, the, for that audience to not be as valuable as, as an audience that grew slowly over time. I, I'd also add that I think building an audience slowly is still like, <clears throat> you know, with a lot of these things, it's sort of compounds. So like you, you lay the foundation and it'll take years and years and years to grow. And then, you know, it'll start growing at an exponential rate. And so um, I think that approach is, you know, very valid. And, and, and um, at that point, you know, hopefully you've got your voice style and you know how to handle things and all that. But um, I think, people underestimate that sort of like a few a day really will add up over time. Cause a few a day will then turn into like 10 a day, 20 a day, 30 a day, 40 a day and, and, and so on. Yeah. That, that's the way I always looked at it because now I'm about a year in writing on Twitter every day, 10 tweets a day, every day for 365 days, pretty much. And that's given me such a breadth of, making stuff on twitter seeing what worked seeing what didn't work and then even revisiting some of it that you've developed a really deep understanding of what content works on twitter whereas if you get a signal on one thing and it blows up and you you get 10,000 retweets or whatever and 10,000 followers you don't get the same insight do you you you're still at the starting gates not really knowing what happened but now you look like somebody who does know what happens, which I think is an important difference. I, I love that distinction. I, I 100% agree. I think that's that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and there's another thing as well. When people, and I was just writing about this earlier because I was writing a tweet about it. I think when people focus on growing too quickly, they start to use all the cheap tactics, don't they? They start to do the things that they know are going to get loads of followers, do the things that they know are going to get loads of likes. But then what that ends up doing is that it means that the personality is not there, is it? They don't, they're buying into the cheap tactics. They're not buying into the person. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people sort of, um, get themselves into trouble. <laughs> it's like, think about like, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, but like, um, for a while, like prank YouTubers were huge, you know? Yeah. And, and like, they were doing crazier and crazier things, trying to top themselves and be outrageous, um, to chase the views. And I think it led to a lot of like self-destructive behavior and people eventually doing things that were like wildly inappropriate, or dangerous and, um, and, and losing their audience. And I would imagine probably losing their sense of sort of self because you're just chasing the views. I mean, I know in in my own content, like, um, me personally, like I'll, I'll occasionally do something that skews a little bit more towards like getting viewership. Um, but, but, even that I try and like almost like have a Venn diagram of like, here's, here's what I'm passionate about. Here's what I have the time to create. And here's what the audience um, wants to see. And like where those intersect is sort of like the 
the space I like to, to play in. And, you know, you might dial those up and down a little bit here and there. Um, but like, I'll almost like consciously do something that's maybe a little bit more towards what the audience will like, and then reel it in with like things that are maybe like a little bit like geeky and like yeah. kind of be cool with like losing some, some followers and stuff. And like, um, it's, it's really interesting. I think that, that example on YouTube is perfect. Cause you've got the people who do ridiculous stuff on YouTube. Then you've got somebody like Ali Abdal who is just kind of himself almost on YouTube and, he, and he's built a huge following behind it and now also released a YouTube course um, about trying to be, uh, you know, make good YouTube videos. But he, a lot of his early stuff, and even, even now, he, he's, he's like a very distinctive personality. He is just being himself. And mm-hmm. he isn't, I, I imagine it's changed a little bit now. Some of it might be more for engagement. But even now, it's still very much him making the content that he wants to make. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's hard to work out, though, isn't it? The, the personality that you're going to put across in this. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I lost that. I lost that a lot when I started. When I was, my only goal was to just write 10 tweets per day. And through that process, I had to find something to write about. And for whatever reason, even though I've been a designer for 14 years, I didn't want to write about design. So I did the whole Twitter platitudes thing and the other stuff that I'm interested in, like self-improvement and things like that. So I spoke more about that because I knew that it got likes and engagement and things. And, and that's at the time that was the kind of people I was following and that was the content they were making. But over time, through the need of needing to write so much stuff, I started dropping in maybe silly things or the the kind of unique way that I might write tweets now. And that resonated more than the other things. And all of a sudden you realize, hang about, I could just be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the self thing's quite interesting too because you aren't being yourself, really. You're still a caricature of yourself, um, and that's that's hard to develop. I mean, how would you even tell somebody you need to be yourself, but a bit more than yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, it's almost like you find aspects of your personality that, for whatever reason, resonate, and then, like, most of the time, you like need to like dial it up a little bit. Like yeah. your quirks, your your like obscure sort of. Uh, you know, characteristics or interests. Um, so long as they sort of like seem to resonate, you, you, you want to like lean into those and like ditch everything else as, as, as much as possible. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I don't know a perfect answer for that, but it's like, but I mean, I, I think that kind of goes back to, you know, building an audience slowly. It's like, if, if you go into it with like a long-term sort of mindset, you can kind of, play with things and iterate your way to um the answer what what what's your kind of online audience building journey look like i know you're pretty big on tiktok and we'll talk about that in a bit but what did you start with well um let's see 
I mean, I've been on Twitter for like a really long time, but similar to you, I didn't really take it too, too seriously. I've had a blog for a long time. Also haven't taken it, didn't take it super seriously. So I, I, I would say I sort of dabbled in, in that, you know, um, you know, I, I had Instagram and Facebook, which I use really just more for personal reasons. I've never really pushed um, sort of my, my professional persona out on those platforms. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, I blogged and tweeted quite a bit or, you know, a, a bit here and there. And then in 2020, at the start of the year, basically, like, to be honest, I was kind of fed up with the fact that I had all this, um, all these blog posts that I researched and spent hours on, um, days on, weeks on, and um, we're sitting there and I just, for whatever reason, I'd like kill it at the 11th hour. I wouldn't publish it. And I was like really frustrated with myself because I knew what I was doing. It was like, it was really a form of self-sabotage, you know, it's just like, you just got to press publish. Like not everything is going to be perfect. And so I realized the problem wasn't so much like, the the um the the work itself as it was sort of the mental barrier and so i i I made a decision i was like well what could i do that that i could do every single day to sort of like help myself get over that and i chose like kind of arbitrarily i was like i'll post to linkedin once a day and that'll sort of be like if i do that that's a win and so I started there and then, you know, tweet, tweeted as a result, sort of like that led to more momentum and, you know, me tweeting more. And then um, late last year, um, I, I kind of decided to do a TikTok because similarly, it's like I had kind of gotten over this hurdle of like pressing publish, but I was, I hated being on camera and I'd never put sort of my face out there into the world. And so that was another challenge I wanted to sort of get over and, and, you know, have, have done a number of TikTok campaigns. So knew sort of the, the success and, and the audience that was there and what was possible. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try TikTok out as well. And um, initially I tried to do that one a day. Now I've, I haven't quite kept that up in 2021, but I'm, I want to get back on track. I sort of needed to give myself a little bit of a breather. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned TikTok because I've got a little clip of it here. You're probably going to hate, hate to listen to yourself, but this is the kind of stuff that you're sharing on TikTok, which I think is quite interesting. You might think brands like Nike have a really complex social media strategy, but most utilize the shockingly simple Hero Hub help framework. Hero content is your go big moment. For example, Nike's Believe in Something ad. Hub content is episodic and repeatable. In the case of Nike, this would be the Nike for Kids series or the Athletes Cookbook. Help content is all about capitalizing on what people are searching for. This is why you see so many how-to videos on brand channel. And that's it. That I, So when I downloaded TikTok, all it ever showed me and I know I'm self-selecting, was cat videos and funny videos and things like that. And you're you're coming on TikTok and, and dropping knowledge bombs in like 30 seconds. I think that's a really cool way of using TikTok. Is there anybody else who's doing that? There there are a handful of other marketers on there. Um, it, but I, I think it's sort of like analogous to YouTube in a lot of ways in that like in the early days it was a little bit more the... Um, 
you know, I don't want to be, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but sort of like lowest common denominator, you know, it's like, that was the stuff that was like everybody was doing, but there, you know, now, I mean, really TikTok has everyone on it. Every community you can imagine is on there. And um, there are a, a number of smart, you know, very cool marketers on there. And um, so it's, it's, it's been fun, but I, I still think it's like, you know, it's uh, I can be a, bigger fish in a smaller pond there, which was part of the rationale in, in, in going into TikTok because like um, I feel like with a lot of platforms, there's like a moment in time where you can sort of get a disproportionate amount of value. And, and TikTok is like in that stage where organic reach is, is very high. And, and, by being someone who is talking about something that is not typically associated with TikTok, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to have an easier time capturing whatever professional audience happens to be there. Mm. It's interesting you say about that kind of time where you, the typical time or the, the time where you can capture the most of the audience. Cause it just makes me think of YouTube and mm-hmm. I wonder what you think of YouTube now, seeing as though it was one of the first things you started working in. Do you still think it's a useful place now for somebody to try and grow an audience? Do you think it's the best use of somebody's time? I don't know about the best use of someone's time. I think it depends that everybody, you know, you've got to do your own sort of cost-benefit analysis. But one thing I'll say is um, YouTube if you've got an audience on YouTube, that audience is way more engaged than any other platform. Hands down. Like, I don't, I don't care what, what, you know, (laughs) footprint you've got elsewhere. Like it's probably 10 X as valuable as any other platform. Um, That said, growth is, is much, much slower. So, you know, you kind of, you know, if you've got the bandwidth and and all the resources on, you know, um, I, I think, YouTube is totally a hundred percent amazing and worth doing, but it's a, you know, it's a little bit slower going um, than a lot of the other platforms. Um, And uh, you know, I think a good stat that sort of can shed some light on that. um, I think it was like in 2006, the or like the median viewership was something like 10,000. Um, views. Um, and then in uh, 2016, it was down to like, I don't know, 180 or 80, something, something like that. You know, it was like multiples smaller and it makes sense. You know, you've got, you know, there are 500 hours of content uploaded every single minute. You've got a ton of competition. Yeah. I, that's why I, I was, I'm, I'm still flabbergasted by Joe Rogan's move to go away from YouTube and only upload clips to YouTube and try and make Spotify build a video platform just for him. And I know there's the money side of it, but it just seems weird. seems that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I'd be curious to hear how much money he was making because he seems like he really – um, appreciates his independence. So I would imagine it must've been such an absurd amount of money for him to sort of, even though he's still very independent, but to let any control go, um, it must've been an, an absurd amount of money. 
think it was. I think hundred million was advertised, wasn't it? Um, That's what I heard too. Yeah, there, there's probably more behind that, but I think I, I think it's a curious move for for a lot of reasons, particularly his audience, because mm-hmm. he, he's he's even been been on his podcast saying I've tried to convince Spotify to add comments in and things like this, and a lot of his audience use comments a lot, and whole whole bunch of people are basically complaining that they have to use they have to use Spotify and even if it's a lot of money i think you know the the money will eventually dry up at some point and the audience will start to shrink mm-hmm. so it, it it's a curious move yeah yeah although i, I think spotify's ambitions are to to sort of diversify and and probably incorporate some of those community elements. I mean, they've been, they've been very strategic. I mean, at least on the outside, it looks like they're being very strategic in terms of like they're, they are signing a number of um, pretty big, like the, the YouTube podcasters, you know, people with like their podcast, but they, they've got the, the video piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's part of a, a broader strategy where they're going to be, kind of messing around with it a little bit. And so maybe, you know, it's the the premium video podcast destination on top of everything else. I mean, that's pure speculation, but um, I could I could picture it kind of going that direction. I, th- I think right now for me, I wonder if you agree, that conversations, particularly long-form conversations, is, is the hot thing that hasn't seen it it's explosion too much yet and i think there's there's lots of things that make me think that particularly everybody being locked down particularly coronavirus Mm -hmm. and that's woken up people to this idea of listening to conversations long-form conversations and Mm -hmm. i I think yeah i think you're right i think that's probably going to be the next move and spotify trying to get ahead of it before anybody else yeah yeah and I think long form conversations, it's just like, I almost feel like when there's like too much of one thing, people want the opposite. And so like, you know, with TV and, and, and everything, it's like, you're so used to seeing like, you know, like a new news program is like broken out into like a million short little segments. I think as a result, it kind of creates a need for something that's like a little bit deeper and more thoughtful. And so, um, so many of these long form podcasts are really stepping in to, to fill that void. And I, 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 I love them. Like, I, I feel like I learned so much more from, um, you know, a long form podcast than, than really just about anything else right now. Yeah. I think you're right because there isn't another content medium I can think of where there is room to go deep on something for, for over a long period of time. And I think the other thing to think about as well is that, the generation that exists right now, their default form of conversation is often text, right? Mm-hmm. Or or just short conversation. They they're not used to having this this idea of sitting sitting in a bar, having a long conversation about all kinds of stuff. And I, I, I honestly think that this thing that we're doing right now will be seen as a little bit of a novelty that it's just something that a whole generation of people don't really experience. So mm. 
they go to podcasts or somewhere else to experience them. Yeah. And that's interesting. I never thought about that, but I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, there's a little bit of like, you know, that, that sort of short attention span in terms of like inner interpersonal kind of interactions. People are always like distracted by their phones. You don't, yeah, you don't, you don't have as many just like, I'm going to sit down and have a long conversation with someone over a drink with zero distractions. Yeah. There just isn't a thing that exists anymore really, is there? I mean, I was, I was looking at old Larry King conversations on Twitter, on uh, YouTube the other day. Um, I was watching one with Frank Sinatra. So he interviewed Frank Sinatra and I, I'm watching this conversation thinking that there's not really a place other than a podcast now where that would have happened in, in 2021. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it's, it's a bit of a strange, strange place to sit. And then I want to finish on one final thing whilst we're talking about conversations. Clubhouse. I, I mean, I, I am trying to understand Clubhouse right now. I, I feel like I don't get it. And I wondered if you, th- do you think you get it? Do you, can you see where that's going to go? Um, do I think I get it? I mean, yeah, it, to me, I think it's almost like everybody's got their own analogy, but like, I, I almost picture it sort of like a conference and like mm. there, you know, there's all these rooms and people are talking and half the rooms are total garbage. Like half the speakers are garbage. It's like, I don't, this is like such bullshit. I don't need to hear this. Um, I don't want to hear this. Um, but then you stumble in, across some speaker and you're like, Oh my gosh, this was great. And like, and then you get to all the way after their talk and like hanging out and having a conversation and learning more about what they're up to and, and kind of what, what, you know, and, and really learn from them. And so I think it's, in my mind, it's sort of analogous to that. Oh, no, I think I'm losing you, Brendan. Uh, I think he's gone. Well, I think that was a, a premature end to uh, my conversation. Oh, oh, is he back? It just You're cut here. there, so... <laughs> I was I was just saying that that was a premature end there, and that's the first time someone's just gone. <laughs> but you're back. Yeah, I don't know what what happened. Um, that was weird. I'm I, sorry. No, it's fine. I I heard the bit about um, you were starting to launch into a conference. So Clubhouse is like a conference, and then you you said you might be listening to a bunch of shitty speakers, and then you find a good one, and that's where it ended yeah yeah and so it's like you know you find a good one just like you know when you're at a conference it's like oftentimes like the best conversations sort of happen in the hallways afterwards and stuff and so it's like you you definitely need to sort of sort through um a lot of the crap but but there's a lot of good stuff there and i think i think right now people really enjoy it because there's an element of serendipity it's like i can just kind of stumble into something it's like Right now, we're we're eager for a lot of kind of social experiences that are, you know, 
there's been this zoomification of, of everything social. And so this is a little bit different. It's less structured. It's, it's not scheduled. It's not video. You can kind of just jump in and out, which I think um, people almost feel like it's like, and I, I would say I, I kind of feel it like it, it somewhat mirrors like a, you know, uh, uh, real life to a certain extent. It's interesting you mention about the serendipity thing because that was the bit that I've been seeing as a negative. This this idea, uh, you know, I, I don't have really much free time, so there isn't much time where I'm sat down just just uh, consuming mindlessly, so to speak. Whereas there's there's this idea with Clubhouse that you jump on with some time and you just sit and see what you discover. And I think that's really the bit that I've not been getting with Clubhouse. Yeah, I, it's, it's both like an advantage and disadvantage, I think. Cause like, yeah, it's like, because it's live as well. Yeah. Like the, the, you could have just jumped on and this, the most fascinating thing in the world and it's never coming back. Um, yeah, it, I, I think it can work both for you and against you. And at the same time, it's like that's an incentive to sort of want to, you know, when somebody interesting that you want to pay attention to is on, it's, uh, um, you know, it's an incentive to jump on right away. Although I'm with you, I don't, I don't have a lot of time. I don't understand how people are spending so much time on it. <laughs> like it's it's insane sometimes. I heard I heard somebody. Somebody replied to me on Twitter. Arvid Carl replied to me on Twitter and said, it's just FOMO at scale. That is so spot on. <laughs> I completely agree. I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, yeah, because, like, I mean, I'll get texts sometimes, like, hey, you should jump in this room. So-and-so is on. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, I would rather not know about this yeah. awesome opportunity because like <laughs> when, as soon as i know then i'm like it's like an itch i can't scratch it's like all right i gotta i gotta make time i want to jump on Ex- yeah exactly it's whereas in the past it'd just be a webinar or whatever and you just say i catch the recording with with clubhouse that doesn't exist you're there or you're not there and that's it yeah 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 it's that's the bit i can't get with clubhouse at the minute but I think that's both its disadvantage and its advantage. But I think it probably wouldn't get, maybe it's not made for people like me, but it probably wouldn't get people like me or maybe even people like you until it works out a way for us to catch up on stuff in some way. Yeah, people have been talking about like almost like a podcast layer on top of it, like where like certain rooms are recorded and they're just like podcasts, but within clubhouse, um, which I think is interesting. That's, that's interesting. It does interest me. For example, we could have been recording this live. It could have been on clubhouse. And then we get to the end of it here like this. And we say, right, well, we've had a couple of questions from so-and-so. Yeah. Then all we do now is go seamlessly into questions. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I apologize. I got to jump to a meeting. Um, it's good. We uh, done. What's that? <laughs> well, I was just about to say we we we're done anyway. So awesome. I'm so sorry. I've, I this is awesome. I I, I hate to 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 run. Um, and I'm super super grateful for you. It's all right. Me on. It's all right. It's it's been awesome. 
I'll let you jump off and we'll chat soon. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. See you soon. <laughs> All right. Peace. Bye.